0: Welcome to Abide in Liberty, a podcast empowering patriots everywhere to re-enthrone faith, family, and freedom as the bedrock pillars of liberty in education, our communities, and our nation. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another episode of Abide in Liberty. This morning, my wife and I took some young men from our local church congregation on a hike up Madera Canyon, and one of the things I love about getting the youth outdoors and on experiences like this is invariably the topic turns to something like uh, the conversation that we had with one young man in particular. We'd been talking about how one of his favorite topics to study in school is astronomy. And he posed the question, why did God create all the other planets? I get why he created the earth. That was to create a place for his children to inhabit what but what's the point of Mercury or Venus or, or Jupiter, for example? And the thought that came, we, we talked about it, but the thought that I had was, I think it may, and this is just my opinion, but it, I think it has something to do with creation. One of God's main titles is creator. And this ties back to what we talked about last week. He's a creator. And when you think about things that people have created, some of those things serve practical purposes, right? They make life easier, they speed up processes, they improve the quality of life and standard of living for everybody, but some modes of creation, a painting, for example, is hard to define a discernible, tangible purpose, For that. Yes, it may make me feel good. I may enjoy looking at it, but it doesn't put food on my table necessarily, having a painting hanging on my wall. It doesn't heat my room or cool it in the summer months. It doesn't um, produce clothing for me or my family. But that doesn't mean that that method of creation is worthless. In fact, people will pay exorbitant sums for certain paintings that don't provide for any of the necessities of life. So is it possible that our great creator created things for our enjoyment, for our exploration, or because he simply wanted to, or because it makes the night sky prettier to see Venus cross the night sky, or to be able to look through a telescope and see the rings of Saturn? I don't know, but I I would not be surprised if there's something to that. And then that led me to thinking about this week where we celebrate the birth of our country. And in particular, the ratification and signing of the Declaration of Independence. That act was an act of creation. Our founding fathers created a new nation. And that did serve a very practical purpose. And in fact, it led to freedom and prosperity and economical growth and technological advancement, the likes of which the world had never seen before that time. You know, when you look at the advancement of transportation or communication up to the time of the founding of this country, very little had changed for centuries. But shortly after, the the founding of this country, advancement and science of all types began to expand and improve exponentially. And that's no accident. This was an incredible pure act of creation. What I want to focus on for this week's episode, though, is the act of creation embodied in the Declaration in and of itself. And I want to give my personal tribute to its primary author, Mr. Thomas Jefferson. The first two paragraphs of the Declaration of Independence state That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of those ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. And then following these two paragraphs, Thomas Jefferson went on to elaborate on and make good on his promise of listing all the reasons why the early colonies felt they were justified in separating themselves and throwing off the prior form of government that they had had. And they list everything that that King George had done. And it's quite an extensive list, and we don't have time to go through all of that here. But it is hard to describe in these two short paragraphs before he goes and lists all these grievances. The... The truth and the principles that he compacted into these two short paragraphs. The idea that all are created equal, that governments were instituted by men to protect certain rights, and that people have a right to alter their government when those governments become abusive. Now, these ideas had been floating around in the abstract for hundreds, if not thousands, of years, or at least portions of these ideas. But this was the first time that those ideas went from abstract to actual creation, to something tangible, to to taking action and and getting a life of their own in the birth of this new nation, this American experiment. And not only did this buck centuries of belief and tradition in the idea that governments were instituted by God and the kings were divinely appointed, and you can't question that or you're questioning God, It bucked all of that and turned the world on its head and not just created a new country, but created an entirely new way of looking at the world and of our relationship with each other and with the governments in our midst. This document created our national soul and identity and has pervaded everything we do for over 200 years now. These ideas have become so ingrained in what we are as Americans that we almost use words from the Declaration of Independence and phrases without realizing it. And we talk about rights without really understanding where we got that vocabulary. Now, let's talk about the author of this great document, Thomas Jefferson. He gets a really bad rap, and I want to address those issues because in many cases, he doesn't deserve it and in some cases the attacks on him are downright subversive of our freedoms a couple months ago i was teaching a lesson to these same group of young men and i we were talking i can't remember exactly what the topic was we're studying the new testament in church this year and i i created a or i pulled in a quote um, from Thomas Jefferson that talked about how he believed the Christian religion was the best for a free society because it purifies a people at the fountain head. And he was referring to ultimate freedom being possible only in a society where people are trying to control their thoughts and their feelings, not at the, I'm not going to commit murder, but in trying to not even become angry to controlling ourselves at and governing ourselves at that level. And one of the students piped up and said, "Wait a second, I thought that guy was a hypocrite for saying that all men are created equal, but he owns slaves. And so I, I did take a minute to to correct that idea and to teach some of the things that I want to cover here. Two things that are laid at Thomas Jefferson's feet are, number one, this exact slavery issue that this young man brought up. So let's talk about that one first. This is a common critique. How in the world can the man who wrote, all men are created equal, own human beings, own other human beings? Either he didn't really mean it, or he meant that all white men are created equal. And unfortunately, that's a false dichotomy. Neither of those is what we want. And before we even start down this path, we need to point out how important it is when we're looking at historical figures to not judge people in the past based on our view and understanding of the world. We need to base it based on how they would have understood and viewed the world and their environment, which is really hard to do. It's really hard to 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 live in someone else's shoes who didn't even have indoor plumbing. I mean, this is a world apart from us. He was born into a system where slavery was commonplace. He was born and reared in Virginia, which was a slave state. So everyone that he knew, every boyhood friend that he had, their parents would have been involved in the slave market and would have relied on slave labor to support their lifestyles. Not only that, but up to this point, since the dawn of time, slavery has been a commonly or had been a commonly accepted practice down to his day. This was just the way things were. This was the way the world operated. By the time that he penned the Declaration of Independence, however, it's obvious that he was not okay with the institution of slavery. In fact, many people don't realize the first draft of the Declaration of Independence, remember that section where he listed out all the grievances against King George III and all the reasons why the colonies felt justified in throwing off the yoke of Great Britain. In that original draft that he penned, he said this about slavery and about King George. He said that King George had waged cruel war against human nature itself violating its most sacred rights of life and liberty in the persons of a distant people who never offended him, captivating and carrying them into slavery in another hemisphere, or to incur miserable death in their transportation thither. This piratical warfare The opprobrium of infidel powers is the warfare of the Christian king of Great Britain. And you can just hear the sarcasm dripping from this, calling this king a Christian king as he is imprisoning and enslaving other people. Determined to keep an open market where men should be bought and sold, he has prostituted his negative for suppressing every legislative attempt to prohibit or to restrain this execrable commerce and that this assemblage of horrors might want no fact of distinguished die, he is now exciting those very people to rise in arms against us and to purchase that liberty of which he has deprived them by murdering the people on whom he has obtruded them, thus paying off former crimes committed against the liberties of one people with crimes which he urges them to commit against the lives of others. Now this, This phrase of the Declaration of Independence was struck from the final final version of the Declaration of Independence because some of the slave states refused to put that in there. It was too incendiary to them, but he wanted it in there. He didn't get it in there, though, unfortunately. He saw this, and it's clear that he saw this as a system that had been entrenched in every fiber of their economy and that there was no easy solution to get rid of it at this point and that it was Great Britain's fault for saddling them with this issue and with this problem. In his own state, Virginia, like I mentioned, a slave state, he tried over and over again to pass legislation to end or curtail slavery, but was stopped at every turn. So then why did he still have slaves? If he was so obviously against it, why keep them? And quite honestly, you know, I can't get into his head, but we can surmise The conundrum that he must have found himself in. He was in a position with wealth and influence where he had the ability to spend his time establishing a country and trying to end slavery. And the money that his plantation earned allowed him the ability to do that, to exert that influence as best he could. So, give that up and lose his ability to influence many more and bless many more than just his slaves, that could have been one consideration. Also, if he did free them, what then? The needed education that they would have needed to be successful wasn't available to them. People, at least in the South, wouldn't hire them. And even in the North, this idea of equality was not fully embraced. Yes, emancipation was something that many people in the northern states agreed with, but, but even many of them did not actually think that these slaves were of the same caliber as the European immigrants. So even in the north, their opportunities were severely limited them. Thomas Jefferson realized that the entire system needed overhaul. But both during the Revolutionary War and after the Revolutionary War, the United States was horribly in debt and dependent on the commerce from the South to help pay for the war first and then to pay for the debt after the war. The United States was in rough economic shape after the American Revolution, and many didn't feel like they could sacrifice an entire society at that point to end slavery. Now, you may disagree with that, and that's fine. But again, we have to try and put ourselves in their shoes and understand the world that they were living in. Now, you might just say he should have just freed them anyways instead of supporting an evil system. And I I can kind of sympathize with that argument, but I want to ask you a question. How many of us work for a company that pushes evil philosophies of the world, but we don't quit? Now, couldn't we say that in that case, we are helping to enrich an organization that is pushing values that we know will destroy the family as the fundamental unit of society, thus enabling them to further push their evil. But it's not so easy as just saying, quit, just walk away from it. When your livelihood and your ability to feed your family is tied up in it, is it? Have you struggled with that conundrum yourself? many of you probably have. And did you just quit and walk away from it? Should you? That's not an easy question to answer. But then again, if we think about it, in many ways, our society does support slavery and not just to feed our families, but to satisfy our preference, our comfort, or our ease. When are you going to give up your iPhone? It's common knowledge that many of the chips and components that go into an Apple iPhone are manufactured in China where child slave labor is employed. Are you willing to go without a smartphone in order to oppose modern day slavery? I mean, this isn't even, I mean, you can live, you can eat, you can provide for your family without a smartphone. But are you willing to sacrifice that small bit of comfort and convenience? to fight modern day slavery? Or what about our cheap clothing that is also manufactured in these countries where slave-like practices are still widely employed? We need to be very careful not to be so quick to judge. It's not always as easy to just quit it as the separation of a couple hundred years makes it appear to be. Now take, for example, me in this podcast podcast I'm editing this using Apple products because they do the best job. They save me the most time. It helps me get the message of freedom out faster and easier. But using technology that I know is assembled by people who live in virtual slavery in another country, is that right? Just because we're further removed from it, we don't see it out our back door every day, doesn't mean that we are any less culpable or in any less of a pickle than Thomas Jefferson was in in his day. He did see it, and he exerted substantial energy to stop it, not only for him and his slaves, but countless around him. And have I done as much? Have you? I don't know that there's easy answers to this, and I'm not looking for them, but I'm trying to generate a little sympathy for this great man. The other thing that is laid at Thomas Jefferson's feet is an alleged affair with Sally Hemings. Now, the background of this is incredibly sketchy. There's a gentleman who wrote a book having uncovered all this evidence of Thomas Jefferson having fathered all these children by a slave woman named Sally Hemings and uses this as proof of his attitude towards slavery. But even this claim of his parentage is highly suspect. The Thomas Jefferson Heritage Society issued a report not long ago And here's the summary of all their findings. We do not pretend, they say, that this is the final word on the issue, and it is possible that future developments in science or newly discovered evidence will warrant a reconsideration of our conclusions. In the end, after roughly one year of examining the issues, we find the question of whether Thomas Jefferson fathered one or more children by his slave, Sally Hemings, to be one about which honorable people can and do disagree. However, it is our unanimous view that the allegation is by no means proven, and we find it regrettable that public confusion about the 1998 DNA testing and other evidence have misled many people into believing that the issue is closed. With the exception of one member, whose views are set forth below and in the more detailed appended dissent, Our individual conclusions range from serious skepticism about the charge to a conviction that it is almost certainly untrue. Now, can you or I get to the bottom of whether this actually happened? There would be many that would strongly disagree with the findings of these Thomas Jefferson preeminent scholars. But even if he did father her children, it wouldn't say anything about the nature of their relationship could it be that after his wife died, they formed a family? But living where he did and in the time that he did, knew that that would have never been condoned by his society. I don't know. Maybe he was just human and made a mistake. That does not invalidate his contributions to this nation, and the and God's work that he did for future generations anymore. Then David's adulterous affair with Bathsheba later in life makes his miraculous slaying of Goliath any less incredible and laudable. In fact, it makes them all the more impressive because these divinely inspired, beautiful expressions of God given agency penned by Thomas Jefferson came from a mere mortal. And that is even more incredible than if we assume that he was some irreproachable, godlike person think about that a mere mortal moving generations and affecting millions if not billions of people throughout time it's incredible and it makes me wonder what can god accomplish through my imperfections if i'm willing to put in the effort and the sacrifice what an incredible example of patriotism of self-sacrifice, and of not being afraid to reach for lofty ideals, even though you know you may never find the strength to achieve them yourself. Do you think he was ignorant of the disparity between what he was inspired to write and what he was living? Of course not. He was too brilliant to just miss that connection somehow, but that didn't prevent him from humbly reaching for something better and trying to help his fellow citizens do the same thing. Most of us, I dare say, would shy away from saying the words, all men are created equal because we would be afraid of the ridicule that would be sure to follow as people examined our personal behavior. But he bravely moved forward and penned those words anyways. He reached for those ideals anyways, and he inspired all of us to do the same. I hope this week, as we celebrate the birth of this country, that we all can take a moment to honor this great man. And I hope that you feel better equipped to defend him whenever you hear him come under attack. God bless Thomas Jefferson for his contribution to our safety and our freedom and the comfort that we enjoy today. And God bless this great nation. May you all have an incredible 4th of July and Independence Day. Thank you for listening to Abide in Liberty. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and share this with friends and family. In the meantime, keep up with the show online at AbideInLiberty.com. Also, if you'd like to help our K-12 bless and educate more families, contact us by visiting LibertyYouthAcademy.org. Until next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, and be strong.